enter the childhood home of our most brutal mass murderer. The home has been rigged up with several cameras, but for the most part, the audience will see only what you see. Are you sure they're not just putting us in some house with hidden cameras in the shower? This is gonna be fun. The windows will be boarded up and all the doors will be locked shut behind them. No one will be allowed to leave until the show is over. Let the danger-tainment begin! You think this is the one that he used to, you know, do his thing? One flash and you could light up a thousand computer screens. You are like this close to getting voted off the island. Wait, what just happened? We just lost Bill's camera. There's somebody in the hall. Sooner or later. What took you so long? Trick or treat, mother. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast that covers all horror movie franchises, one movie, one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, are you feeling the entertainment right now? I am trick or treat, motherfucker. This evil is finding its way home. Halloween resurrection time. Yeah. Never thought I would see the day where I'm excited to talk about this movie. Obviously, I am because this is the third time we've tried to start the show <laughs> because of technical difficulties in my end. So we'll see what happens uh, going forward right now. Um, part of the reason we're excited right now is we actually do have a, a really cool guest um, back on the show for the third time. From Ghastly Grinning and the Keep Screaming podcast, we have Ryan Larson. Hey guys, thanks for having me back on to talk about uh, this movie. I'm pretty sure I was the only one who wanted to, so that's why I'm here. <laughs> you we actually by. had people say point blank, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they dropped us from their contacts at that point. They were no, offended. What's, what's funny? What's funny is, you know, for the most part, sometimes people would be like, oh no, I have things going on, I can't make it. I've had like two people say, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. So, and I think it's interesting, you know, and I think, Ryan, part of the reason I think it's it's really good to have you on is, like, you know, although your show doesn't exclusively cover slasher movies from this period, it's a really big focus of the Keep Screaming podcast, and I think you're from, you know, the, the generation that kind of grew up in those, like, late 90s, early 2000s slashers, so you have, like, a different and probably more, like, positive um feel for those movies overall than like someone like myself would so i think that's like a really good thing so i think it kind of balances it out a little bit and you know we definitely try not to be too negative overall so i think it's always good to have like that different perspective absolutely i'm happy to provide that perspective excellent i do have a funny story up front and honestly I, I think it's taken me, uh, you know, so many years to admit why I don't like Halloween Resurrection so much. It is because opening weekend I went to see this movie, Halloween Resurrection, and against my better judgment, I skipped Road to Perdition to see Halloween Resurrection. You know, and in hindsight, I really wanted to see Road to Perdition. So, <laughs> I think the biggest cinematic mistake mistake I ever made. I could have gone to see Say Anything in theaters, and again, instead, I think I went to see License to Drive with the Corey. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
It was either Best that or it was, or it was a Tony Danza movie where like he didn't want his daughter to drive, and I can't even remember the name of it at this point. Something about driving. Something about now that's going to bother me, and I think I need to look that up. Um, but in like I went on like to say anything is probably my all time favorite like romantic movie, and I could have gone to see that in theaters and been super cool. But instead, I believe the movie. I went to go see in its place. If it's not licensed to drive, it's she's out of control. That would be it. Wow. I remember that. Yeah. 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 I'm looking at the poster right now. The tagline when an average looking teen girl gets a makeover, it's enough to make her father become overprotective (laughs) of her. You know, what's what's funny is not even 10 minutes into this episode, we're already trying to find (laughs) side roads to talk about tony danza the two corys and a tom hanks gangster movie instead of resurrection (laughs) absolutely absolutely yeah that's it's really like we'll talk about anything else uh, (laughs) at this point so but but ryan what what when we asked you to come on the show or you volunteered to come on the show what was it that said yeah i'll talk about resurrection like absolutely have me in uh, well, so, you know, at Resurrection was one of the first Halloween movies I saw because I did jump in on the slasher boom post Scream. Like, that's when I got into slasher movies. So I didn't start really mining, you know, the older decades until I had access to, like, get to the movie store on my own or was, like, staying at my friend's house or, you know, like, I don't do it anymore. But back in the day, de- illegally downloading movies off LimeWire or whatever uh, resource I could. Like, so uh, until then, I was just kind of stuck watching what was coming out. And so Resurrection was one of the first ones. You know, I was a freshman in high school. Um, That's probably like two years right after I got into horror movies. Um, I'd definitely seen like some of the Halloweens, but not all of them. Uh, And I was just like, yeah, I'll watch this. Like, it has all of these people that I recognize from other things because this is the era I grew up in. I was a hip hop head. So I was like, fuck yeah, Busta Rhymes. Okay, let's do this. Um, and so I also re I've rewatched it recently, like very recently. I mean, obviously for the show, but before that, and part of the reason why I was like, yeah, I'll come on is, uh, and I'll, and I'll wait till we get a little later in the episode. But as I was watching it, I was like, you know, I have some insights into this movie that don't make it necessarily a good movie, mm-hmm. but they are interesting insights that, I can have some fun talking about. So that's why I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to come on. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. And this is, I think probably it's near the bottom of a lot of people's lists overall. I think when we talk about the movies in the Halloween franchise that sit near the bottom third or worst movie, it's usually resurrection part five and the Rob zombie films. Right. I mean, would that be fair to say overall? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely oh, yeah, bottom definitely. for me. Rightly or wrongly, and I, I, you know, the latter movies I just mentioned, I think I'm going to be more favorable to, especially the second movie, than a lot of people would. Um, but, you know, even like, we talked a little bit about this with the Friday the 13th series, is outside of part eight, Jason Goes to Manhattan, there's not a Friday film that I don't like. And there's not a huge disparity in quality between my favorite movie and the one that I like the second least overall. And I think I've likened it to say getting like a really good cheeseburger. You know, it's like, I'm always going to like cheeseburgers some more than others, but I'm not never going to get like a really terrible, terrible one. 
you know, the difference with the Halloween series is the first movie is so good and such a classic that everything else is going to suffer by comparison. Um, but along the way, there are some like really, truly excellent movies in there that even the ones that are just like, okay, suffer by comparison overall. And I wonder if that might be a little bit of the case here. I don't think this is a great Halloween movie, but you know, I think I'm going to end up agreeing you a little bit, Ryan. Some of the things I think you're going to bring to the table about what you like about it, I'm like probably going to go back and like that's actually a pretty good point. Um, rewatching this myself, you know, although I didn't love this movie, outside of one particular character, I enjoyed a lot of it overall. Well, I, I think that a big problem uh, of the movie, and I don't even just mean my own personal preference, I mean for a lot of fans, is it does something right from the beginning that the film finds impossible to recover from. Mm-hmm. And that is kill off Laurie Strode right at the beginning. And I, I know from my own personal opinion, I saw that and I wanted to walk out. From that moment on, this movie could have been Citizen Kane, and I still would have kind of hated it at the time because of how betrayed I felt right at the beginning. This was not a... Lori is not a throwaway character that, oh, they kill off at the beginning of the next movie and nobody gives a shit. It's Lori fucking Strode, the heart and the soul of, of, of the original movie, I think. You know what I mean? And I, I feel like doing that made most of its viewers just say like what the hell and and the the movie just it's not able to recover from that decision to a lot of fans yeah and you know originally jamie lee curtis was she did not want to return for this movie she really felt that her story and i think rightfully so felt that her story had been capped with halloween six it had such a fantastic ex all problems I have with that movie aside, it has a great exclamation point for an ending for a franchise. H2O. And yeah, H2O. Okay. Um, uh, I'm sorry, did I say resurrection? You said, you said six. Oh, my bad. My bad. Um, maybe I'm taking out three because Michael Myers doesn't isn't in that movie. I don't yeah. know. But, or I'm just very bad at math. But H2O has such a great punctuation point for an ending of a of a franchise overall and it goes out on such a high note um and we did learn from both talking to brian collins and then reading the incredible book taking shape by dustin mcneil and travis mullen which is really essential reading for any halloween fan and for us has been a tremendous source of like research for the back half of these episodes um she was contractually obligated to come back and the Akkads just already had the switcheroo in place before resurrection was even written before it was even an inkling of like what they're going to do with it the Akkads knew that there was going to be the old switcheroony and it wasn't going to be michael it was going to be a poor emt worker um if h2o was successful well, it's a bummer because I mean Mustafa Akkad had that uh, clause in the in the contract saying that they couldn't legally kill off Michael Myers permanently. You know, it, like it says in that book, Taking Shape. When it came to resurrection, he put the ultimatum to to Miramax saying that if you kill off Michael Myers, the resurrection's canceled. Mm-hmm. You know, like so even the day after H2O finished shooting, they already shot the paramedic scene, you know, like it, it sucks that, that Jamie Lee Curtis already knew that they were going to do another one. 
you know, and she had the kind of clause that, okay, if I'm going to do another one, if I'm going to be in it just for a little bit, you guys have to at least pretend that this is the final one until the mm-hmm. next one's announced. And I couldn't, I can't imagine all that publicity that she did for H2O because I remember how huge it was. Knowing in the back of her head, I have to say that this is the last one, knowing that it's not. Like, it's kind of shitty, you know? And I think that goes to your point, too. You had sent me the quote, Jerry, about Jamie Lee Curtis promoting Halloween 2018, saying, well, the last movie, H2O, is more of a cash grab for me. This is, you know, much more of a collaborative project. I feel more involved. Everyone feels like we're trying to make the best movie we can this time around. And I I took part of that as like, look, you always want to make the movie you're promoting now the most important thing overall. But yeah, you're probably right. There were some residual feelings about how she felt knowing that like H2O was not how she was going to have to go out. Definitely. Resurrection too. I mean, I completely agree with you, Jerry. It's it, that is the, probably the biggest crime it commits other than some like, you know, really bad dating of itself with the internet, um, like antics, but four years after H2O, they decided to throw Lorian for a 15 minute intro scene. You cut that scene out of the movie it doesn't change the movie at all. Mm-hmm. It doesn't affect the storyline or anything that's happening. No, I can promise you, no one in the world would have watched this movie and went, but where's Lori? Like, if she didn't show up, if they didn't explain that in the beginning, no one would have been like, where's Lori? Michael returns to his home. Cool. That's all we need to know. Like, we honestly don't even need to know, like, how is Michael still alive? Because we just take it as like, well, he survived somehow. It probably wasn't him. Or we get some news story in the background about how, like, the paramedic, it was a paramedic who was killed and Michael Myers' body was never found. Like, there are so many ways we could explain that away without having to kill off Jamie Lee Curtis. Because I do think it it does start the movie in a really bad way. Like, the next time you watch this movie, what I would actually do is suggest skipping that scene. Because mm-hmm. if you skip that scene and just kick this movie off as like, hey, it's 2002. The internet is still this relatively new thing at the capacity that it's at. And like, this is the idea of where we're taking, you know, found footage is also starting to become a really big deal in cinema. So we're going to tie that in a little bit into Halloween because they're not ready to take the full jump in yet. But kind of play around with those ideas and this becomes a little bit of a different movie because you don't have you don't have that really sour taste from Lori the entire scene with Lori in the beginning of the movie. Well, there's a uh, good. Nope, oh, you first, my friend. No, I was gonna say that you know Halloween Six kind of dates itself as like you definitely know this is 1995. You know, uh, Halloween. Uh, H2O, you know that this is the kind of Kevin Williamson era of the 90s. But with that being said, they don't feel as dated as Resurrection. Everything from the early kind of internet stuff, you know, the the really bad quality live streaming stuff, to even the choice in music. Like a lot of the music that they, they chose, it's, it's kind of like watching Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man movie and seeing Macy Gray perform. Mm-hmm. Like these these days, I'm like, okay, I know exactly when that movie was. You know what I mean? Like, I think Resurrection, like everything from like the Buster Rhymes, the Tyra Banks uh, elements, but down even to like certain kind of hip hop that was in the film itself. You know what I mean? It kind of it's hard to see the movie as just a film because it always just feels like 2001, 2002 to me. You know? Yeah. 
And I think too with Jamie Lee Curtis, like she was adamant that this was it for her, and if she was going to reappear in the movie, then she was going to get killed off. Like she wanted a definitive end for the character. I mean, it's funny because it's kind of like what Michelle Williams, um, who was in H two O, did with Dawson's Creek, who. When that show ended, she was adamant that her character dies in the show specifically so if there were ever any reunion shows, she wouldn't have to appear in them. Like, that's why Jen dies in Dawson's Creek, because Michelle Williams is like, I just, I'm done with this part of my life. It was good while it ran, but I never want to be, you know, 10, 20 years from now in, like, Dawson's Creek reunion Christmas special. So it's funny that... Motherfucker, I did not know she died in Dawson's Creek. I'm kidding. I've, I've never Trailer. seen it. Oh, <laughs> um, like one of my favorite shows ever. That's so. So, it's um, you know, it, it got some play around my household. I'm gonna say, like, now, I'm not gonna. Lie. About if you're talking about Misha Barton dying in OC, then okay, we can have that discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the best part of that show. I know, right? <laughs> I, I hated her character. Just saying, Marissa Cooper sucks. So I don't care. I get into that argument monthly with my friends and i'm like no marissa needed to die i was done with her <laughs> see i go back more to the original 90210 and i was yeah. always like team brenda over team kelly um you know do you when, remember, when, okay do you remember on 90210 when like they had that like really dramatic episode where they were playing with the gun and, and yes. uh, brian austin green's friend got shot like wasn't that depressing it was oh, very yeah depressing. i forgot about that i definitely watched that show too yeah. and again anything but resurrection <laughs> yeah we are now switching to a Beverly Hills 90210 OG um, podcast at this point. Oh, but it's it's funny. Like I I I wonder how many people watch Resurrection and saw Laurie Strode fall to her death and assumed that she would show up at the end of the movie because she falls into like a tree basically, and you could see a way to. So I just wonder how many people were wondering if she would show up at the end or. What I have to think is, if you know that she's dead, like, how deflating is that? Now you're like, I don't really want to watch. How do, how do I recover from this, like, emotional peak at this point? Now I have to follow a half dozen characters that I don't know and don't really care about. Because all I'm thinking about is, like, they killed Jamie Lee Curtis. I will say, though... It is quite interesting that Lori dies from getting stabbed in the back because I do feel like that that's kind of what happened with the Lori character. Just like, to be completely honest, I mean, I wrote two articles. Uh, I used to have this kind of column for Icons of Fright called uh, Genre Gut Punches. It was kind of like things that happen in certain films that you just never quite recovered from. And one of them was I, I did this article about how Laurie Strode kind of, you know, was disregarded later in the films. And there was another one about Jamie Lloyd. And I feel like the Halloween franchise kind of has that problem is they don't understand how revered revered all a lot of these characters are. And they just kind of discard them like they're nothing. I would agree with that. Yeah, they're almost like, like we had talked about Daniel Harris being offered scale to return as Jamie Lloyd and the kind of like sour treatment that character received in both versions of Halloween six overall. Um, it is a bummer because I think that the, the Lori character gets such a great send off in H two O. And then this is what you get overall. And it, it, it deflates and maybe 
maybe looking back at H2O and how neither of us, Jerry, were very high on it, I wonder how much of that is influenced by knowing what's going to follow, if that kind of touches our feelings a little bit on the movie as well. Well, and that what's interesting is, you know, they did film that uh, paramedic thing the day after H2O finished. But I mean, I've said this on a couple episodes and I I think it was in Taking Shape as well. Uh, I remember uh, on HalloweenMovies.com right after H2O came out, they did a poll where they were kind of asking the site's readers what direction they would prefer the, the franchise to go. And I think that Resurrection kind of shows in in that kind of mentality of not really knowing where you're going to go with the film because it it's a movie that just does not feel like a halloween movie it feels like uh, i'm trying to it, it feels like when scream came out and there was a million there were like a million knockoffs that weren't even as good as scream you know and and you know that's saying a lot because you know I'm not the world's biggest fan of Scream, but I could appreciate you know how important it was. But there were a lot of movies that were almost like straight to video ones that were like so bad at trying to be Scream. And what's what's unfortunate is Resurrection feels like it's trying to be a Halloween movie, and it is one, but it never feels like it. Yeah, and it's interesting too that so Rick Rosenthal returns. So it's interesting yeah. that like. Because I, I mean, I personally feel like my ranking of Halloween movies is, you know, the top three, they kind of bounce around, but it's Halloween 2018 and H2O. And, um, like, I really feel like H2O is one of the ones that actually feels the most like a Halloween movie. And, but, like, with updated to the current flavor. So like that's what was it was post scream era, that's what was happening, but it still captures the feelings of Halloween and I do think a lot of that is because Jamie Lee Curtis and her character arc in it. But I do think it's also interesting that they bring Rick Rosenthal back for this to direct yet another sequel to a movie that is definitively a Halloween movie and then has to follow it up again with kind of like these loose angles and and uh, dangling strings. Um, so I think that's mm-hmm. just, it's really interesting that Rosenthal was brought in, but I do, and this this is part of what I was like realizing while I was watching this. So if you look at like the Halloween movies, you know, you go from five to six and I feel like five, you know, what what year did Halloween five come out? Um, 89. Okay, so so it's 89, and so then you get six, which is the 90s, you know? And so I feel like, I personally feel like when you watch the trajectory of Halloween movies, Halloween almost skips that campy 80s entry. Like, it doesn't have that. Because you have one and two, which are, like, downright slashers. You have three, which is, like, this kind of off-brand, kooky, you know, di- like, cousin of the franchise. and then yeah, you have it's more four- of a homage to, like, 50s sci-fi horror in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Right, and then you have four, which returns, like, to the very, like, very on-brand slasher formula. Like, I feel like, when I watch this movie, I feel like I am watching a movie from 1985, but in a 2002 body. Because there are so many things that are just, like, Buster Rhymes doing kung fu, um, <laughs> like, like 
I mean, like, literally, no, like, literally, Buster Rhymes doing Kung Fu, like, this whole subplot of these two characters in, like, at a, at a costume party that are completely not even involved in the main story, but are in, like, casually kind of drop into plot A when they are plot B. I mean, there are all these things that feel very 80s to me, and it's almost like Rick Rosenthal was like, well, we, you know, we never got our, like, our true 80s camp. Uh, and then you look at who wrote it too, Sean Hood, the guy who was one of the revised scriptwriters on what? Hurst? One of the campiest movies ever made? So, like, we have these guys who I feel like were poised to make this movie, and it, it's camp, but it's in 2002. So it doesn't it doesn't read like that, and it doesn't, and it feels so out of place because we're talking about a franchise that exists among franchises like Nightmare and Fr Friday, which are known for their camp, but this franchise in particular has never done that. It's never gone to the places that Friday has gone. It's never gone to the places that Nightmare has gone. So when it does, and it's 2002, you know, it feels very off kilter, very out of place. But at the same time, part of it makes sense to me because we have these people like I do think Sean Hood writes things that are campy. I do think that Rosenthal was an 80s director. And like we get like this kind of weird like watching it this time around. I was like so much of this, including just the character archetypes, feels like an 80s slasher movie but just updated for 2002. But even like, I can promise you, if the internet was around in the 80s, this stupid webcam thing that was going on, 100% would have been a plot line in the 80s slasher movie. So there's just so much of it that reads like pure 80s camp to me that I'm like, this is really weird because I'm watching a movie from 2002, but I feel like I'm watching a movie from 1986. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and you I think, think that, Sean, oh, you first. No, 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 go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I, I do think it's interesting that a lot of the blame gets placed on Rick Rosenthal for this movie, you know, but, you know, I, I it, like H2, I feel like there was there are a lot of like too many cooks in the kitchen as far as what it wanted to be. You know, you have Larry Brand writing a script it getting rewritten by Sean Hood, you know, Rick Rosenthal only comes into it because Whitney Rancic and Dwight H. Little eventually kind of pass on the movie. You know, I, I almost feel like Rick Rosenthal was given a pox-infested blanket and tried to make the best of, you know, the situation. And you had mentioned Sean Hood. And Jerry, I want to circle back on something you said earlier because it's a little bit ironic. You said, like, I don't care if Orson Welles is directing this movie. And, you know, Larry Brand, the one of the co-writers of the screenplay who did the original pass on it, um, started as an assistant for Orson Welles. And his <laughs> idea... Right, yeah. So his and he, you know, grew up loving Orson Welles, and he kind of like with this idea of resurrection does a reverse War of the Worlds, where um, Orson Welles, with his famous radio drama War of the Worlds, took something that was fake and made it sound like it was very real. Brand's idea is to take something that is supposed to be real, like these characters getting killed off in the movie, but make everybody think that it's fake, like the characters within the world of this movie make it feel like it's fake. So it's kind of a reverse way to do War of the Worlds. It's, it's kind of a, a clever concept. And also, by the year 2000, there is a phenomenon going on in popular television and pop culture where reality television, which kind of had been spearheaded by the real world in the early 90s, 
has really taken off in a big way. Um, 2000 is the first season of Survivor. It's also the first season of the show Big Brother. And, you know, that's a show that basically takes all these people, puts them in a house, puts a lot of cameras on them, and they have these weird competitions with one another. So now you have the whole Kickstarter and something that still continues to this day. Um, and this was, I would say, back before popular entertainment and even with the advent of cable television, we're still not in that era of peak television. You know, the Sopranos have been around for a few years, but we're not getting like streaming and peak TV and like binge watching. You basically have these shows that can still capture the zeitgeist in the uh, entertainment world and get people like tens of millions of people to watch them. You know, now, I think the most popular show on television might still be The Walking Dead. It draws maybe 10 to 11 million people a week. That might get a show canceled back in the year 2000. Like, that might not be enough. So you have, like, tens of millions of people watching Survivor and Big Brother. And Resurrection was a way for Larry Brand to really comment on that phenomenon. But unfortunately, I think, like, to your point, Jerry, with too many cooks in the kitchen, um... It, the concept gets dumbed down to what you see on screen overall. Well, well, that ends. I, I feel like they never quite knew what they wanted to do. You know, like another thing taken from Taking Shape, uh, you know, they mentioned that Whitney Rancic, uh, when he was with the film, he wanted the kind of movie where cats would jump out at people. You know, Larry Brand did not want that. But then, you know, Miramax and all those people we're so adamantly against Larry Brand's script and these kind of high concepts that he had, you know, he wanted to do that Orson Welles kind of thing. He wanted to be more of a serious movie that kind of spoke on that kind of uh, paranoia and that kind of stuff. But then, you know, second guessing, they brought in Aaron Kruger for a script where lights flickered and there were Ouija boards and shit, you know? And, you know, I, it's interesting that at one point, you know, Akkad basically said, okay, we're using Larry Brand's script or the movie's canceled. So Miramax had to basically be like, okay, fine, we're using that script, but we're going to bring another writer and try to make it something else. And I think that that's where the movie suffers from that too many cooks in the kitchen mentality, where I think if it was streamlined and there was one person kind of putting forth these ideas, where whether it's Larry Brand, whether it was Sean Hood, I think if one of them had written the movie and they didn't get constant studio notes, kind of like Halloween 6 did, you know, it wouldn't have been uh, what a lot of people refer to as a clusterfuck. You know, I, you know I'm not going to sit here and, like, just shit on this movie the whole episode because Ryan does have good points. If you take out the Laurie stuff, it does feel somewhat like a wacky-ass slasher movie. You know, but I, I also feel like it tries to be multiple things at once. It tries to be the wacky stuff because you have the Sean Hood stuff, you know, and he's good at what he does. Then you also have the more serious concepts from Larry Hood. Then you also have what Mustafa and Malika Cod wanted to do. And you also have what the Weinsteins want to do. And when you have that many people who can't come to a concise vision you get what we had on the screen, a, a movie that feels so disjointed that even the reshoots don't don't make sense. You know, we'll get it to a we'll get to it probably a little later. But, you know, originally it was the Deckard character that saved Sarah, jumped through the fire thing to save her. And for a split second, you still get that frame of Deckard jumping through the window before they cut to Buster Rhymes being there. You mm -hmm. know, it, it almost seems like there was so much against this movie that even in the edit bay, 
they had no idea what they wanted to do, and it shows. Yeah, and the, I mean that tone shows the whole way through because, like, they're, you know, like, like I said, there's all this wacky stuff, like the the whole sequence in the in like the surveillance shed with Buster Rhymes and stuff, but also just even like the entire screening process where you know. Um, What's her name? Uh, uh, Bianca Kodzik's character, where she screams so loud, a glass breaks. That's cartoon shit, dude. But like, if you embrace that the whole way through, that becomes like a campy slasher movie. But they don't like it. It bounces back and forth between that and then also this like kind of serious stuff. And there, there are inklings of good ideas here, and that's also like something I wanted to touch on too. Like, if this movie were to be made now, and like decided to follow those ideas through i think it would be very successful because what is more popular than anything on the planet right now for some goddamn reason it is (laughs) yeah absolutely no it is true crime true crime motherfucker and like guess what this movie is this movie is essentially a true crime movie because Mm. you will have you have these people who are uh what i mean what are they they're basically I don't know, they're, uh, they want to like, uh, almost like criminal investigators or whatever, right? They're Mm -hmm. psychologists. That's what they're going to school for. And so they are going to this house to essentially discover the pathology of Michael Myers. And so there are interesting ideas of going into this house to try to discover why Michael Myers became the person that he became. And then of course, I even think the idea is interesting of interfusing that with an entertainment industry that goes, this People will be interested in this, and we're going to set things up because obviously there's not actually anything really here for them to bite onto, but we're going to make it seem like there is. Um, but I do think like there are inklings of things here, and I think this movie now would potentially, if it were to embrace that stuff, do really well because there is nothing more popular than true crime. I mean, um, what's that damn podcast that's like the biggest podcast, Stay Sexy, Don't Get Murdered, those folks, like, mm-hmm. and then Last House on the Left, and then Mindhunter, and all, yeah, all of these things that are true crime and this movie essentially is a true it's it's almost there it's almost a true crime movie because they're going in to discover like the basis of michael myers sociopathic tendencies Mm -hmm. and so i do think like there's even inklings of things there that are interesting but they never like like jerry said they never commit to any threat exactly they 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 don't they never commit to what the film is and i i feel like if they had committed to what the film could be it would have been more successful not just in a financial monetary sense but with fans it could have been this really interesting almost satire of what those films were and i feel like the sean hood stuff is that it could have been this really good look at this social obsession with technology and all this stuff in true crime which is what literary brand's script was Mm -hmm. I think it's the combination of both of those takes that makes the film a real big mess. Well, there's also an irony in the movie too, in that while they're, you know, trying to get into the pathology of Michael Myers, I think you have that one character in the sanatorium, I believe it's Harold, um, who's obsessed with serial killers and he is spouting off statistics like they're on the back of baseball cards like you know growing up how i might look at the back of like a mark mcguire rookie card and you know go oh 48 homers rookie year like 289 batting average he's shouting off all these serial killers like how many kills that they have but also while you have these characters that are getting filmed looking at um 
the serial you know, what is making Michael Myers tick. Everything in that house has been faked. Everything in that house is, you know, been staged. There's that moment when one of the characters like looks at one of the seasoning and like, whoa, this is way too fresh for it having been, you know, nothing being touched in this house. And it could be a commentary on how, you know, even when you even documentaries aren't completely objective, that there's always a subjective point of view and there's always going to be a way that, you know, the artist is going to try to manipulate its audience to feel something or move or come to certain conclusions. Uh, that's always going to be the case, even in something that's supposed to be, you know, a, an objective search for the truth. Oh, I agree 100%. Uh, it, it, see, talking about the movie, like, I, it's not that I appreciate things about it more. It's just that I'm uh, talking to you guys about it. It's making me start to think that, like, what could have been? You know what I mean? Like, because I remember I was in the mall when the trailer kind of was playing nonstop at this local theater that had this big screen that would play trailers. And I remember thinking, like, well, that's that's an interesting concept. You know, like, I, I wonder how that'll be. And I feel like it's it's just a bummer that, I mean, I hate to continually say this, that they didn't commit to one of those things. Because I feel like when there is a very clear vision, I feel like the Halloween franchise just knocks it out of the park. And it can happen when there's a lot of people involved. How many studios and producers were involved with 2018s? You know, you had, you had, you know, you had Akkad's, you know, you had Trankus, you had Blumhouse, you had Universal, you had all these people. But instead of trying to push their agendas into the movie, they work together to make a very concise vision. And I feel like it's that lack of vision that resurrection, it, it makes it fail. And you get these characters that, I mean, these characters are kind of like caricatures of, of your typical slasher characters. You know, you have the Sarah character that is supposed to be a, a Laurie Strode character. She's just not developed and not interesting whatsoever. You know, you have the rebellious character played by uh, Katie Sackhoff. You know, you have the kind of like wacky guy, you know, Bill, Bill, you know, you, you, you have the, like the rebel, you know, Jim, you have all these caricatures, but the, the problem is don't make characters caricatures. If you're not going to put them in somewhat of a satire film, you have caricatures in a movie that's supposed to be taken seriously. And that's, that's kind of where it, 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 it fails, you know, like I feel like the characters belonged in a different movie than what Resurrection was trying to be. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree with everything you just said there. Um, speaking of characters, I think we need to move on a little bit. And there's one or two characters in particular that we need to discuss. And I think it's time to talk about Freddy. Not Freddy Krueger. <laughs> oh, boy. Freddy, Freddy, Freddy. Freddy Harris. Buster Rhymes. So I get the idea of having Buster Rhymes, a very popular hip hop art, hip hop artist, in your movie. It broadens the appeal of the movie. Um, LL Cool J's character in How, uh, Ronnie in H two O was so popular he survived getting shot in the head, um, which blows my mind. Um, and he, you know, had his fan base among them. So it's like, well, it worked in H two O. Let's bring in another hip hop artist right now, and they gave us Buster Rhymes. But this is the problem with Major that. Demon. This is the problem with that. LL Cool J 
was an actor playing mm-hmm. a character that was not himself. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Freddy is Buster Rhymes. Buster mm-hmm. Rhymes is obsessed with kung fu and that kind of stuff. So he kind of he kind of talked them into including a bunch of that stuff. So I think that that's the difference. Elo Cool J, you might not like that character, but he was playing a character. Uh, trick or treat, motherfucker. Feels, it feels like you're watching Buster Rhymes play himself, and I feel like that it's hard to to go through that journey of a film and get lost in it when you feel like it's a college humor or a funnier die skit, you know, mm-hmm. like, like Buster Rhymes fighting Michael Myers, you know, and I'm sorry, you know, this has been quoted since the movie came out and I'm sorry to continue it, but trick or treat motherfucker. Like that's the equivalent to my most hated fucking line in horror of all time. And that is from Texas chainsaw 3d where a girl who just got into Texas that day shoots at Leatherface and says, welcome to Texas, motherfucker. Are you kidding me? He's lived there his entire life. So (laughs) it's ridiculous. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I have nothing against Buster Rhymes. I love his music. But, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like it's the biggest distraction in the movie almost as much as killing Laurie off. And I think that he could have been a fine character if he was reined in a little bit, but... You know, the from reading the behind the scenes, Rick Rosenthal not only didn't rein Buster Rhymes in, but it sounds like he encouraged it. He was like, no, like we loved what we were getting. So we encouraged him to go out and improvise more and add more of himself to the character. And, you know, Rosenthal was saying, look, the feedback we got when he was doing Kung Fu and Michael Myers was like, this is a really good thing. The crowd really ate it up. The crowd loved it and they wanted to see more of it. So we ran with it. And to Rosenthal's point, you know, from again, reading, taking shape, which we recommend to everybody to spend money on this Christmas season. Um, test audiences. It was tested out in New Jersey and the audience said, like, we really love this Buster Rhymes character, Freddie, give us more of him, please. And they did, which to me is again, like not many good ideas have come out of New Jersey outside of like Bruce Springsteen and the band lifetime. Um, hardcore. Punk band lifetime. Lifetime. That's funny. You know, <laughs> the bouncing, lifetime. The Bouncing Souls are from New Jersey. Like, those are three really good things. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, former pro wrestler. Um, oh, there we go. All right, Heather, really hmm? Heather Buckley. That's another Jersey staple. So that's our top five New Jersey. Heather Buckley, Bruce Springsteen, The Bouncing Souls, Lifetime, and Bam Bam Bigelow. And, that's our top five. And maybe Gaslight Anthem. Maybe Gaslight Anthem. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, I, Maybe I love Gaslight. I love Gaslight. So oh, I'm no, more of a hold lot. steady guy myself. I'm more of a hold steady. Out of any, out of, so, but I, I, I can't. I I think that this is the problem with Halloween and the Halloween franchise becoming bigger studio films as opposed to the independent Trankus ones. Mm-hmm. The Trankus films, you know, up till five, they weren't nonstop test audience movies. Right. The filmmakers allowed to make the movies they wanted to make starting with six and then h2o and resurrection and the rob zombie movies these are all being tested by these people who are telling them what they should do as filmmakers and i feel like that hinders 
every single movie. And I know that test audiences did the same with 2018, so they changed the ending, which I think is one of the few ending changes that works. Uh, but when it comes to resurrection, I don't need a 16-year-old telling me that he wants to see more of the Freddie Harris character. Mm-hmm. You know, like Rob Zombie had this really great interview that, that I saw once where he was just like, he was talking about committees, and he's like, I wouldn't have wanted a 16 or 15 year old tell me how they should have ended Jaws, you know, mm-hmm. like, like I, I miss the days growing up and I'm not trying to be like a get off my lawn uh, guy. Cause I'm, I'm barely almost 40. But with that being said, I miss the days where filmmakers can make films without it becoming such a product that you have these strangers telling you how to finish a movie or right. what characters more. Who tests well? Who's going to sell merchandise? Um, what is the Q rating on this particular actor? Do we need to get more of them in there? Things like that don't make – they usually don't make for a really good end product. And usually, to your point, the more people you have kind of influence the final product, the more disjointed that it ends up feeling overall. And that's something that I don't really appreciate in a lot of modern movie making. I do also think it's a product – it is partially a product of the era, though. So, like, going back to Rosenthal, he, it's it's just very interesting that he was tagged for this because Rosenthal, you look at his filmography. I mean, the the guy made one movie in the 90s before jumping into mm-hmm. Resurrection. Um, his, his bulk of movies is in the 80s. So this is a guy who cut his teeth in the 80s. That's what he knows is the mm-hmm. 80s. Makes just a little harmless sex in 1998 um, before jumping into Resurrection. So, I mean, he, he's done mostly 80s movies. And then you look at the movies that were coming out at the time like we did have the occasional like good serious horror movie it was a weird time for horror in general you know you had the others you had session nine but you also had bones you also had 13 ghosts you also had jason x you had freddy versus jason this was an era you had ghost ship like you this was an era of camp again so you either had camp or you had real serious and anything in the middle was not going to work because you had the ring. You had 28 days later. Those are very serious, very grounded horror movies. Then you have on the opposite spectrum, you have Ghost Ship, you have Jason X, you have Freddy versus Jason. I think if this movie had fully embraced camp, I think it would have been not only better than if it had fully embraced seriousness, because I don't think that they had the talent or the wherewithal to create a fully serious Halloween movie that works in 2002. So if they had mm-hmm. gone the opposite direction to full camp, I mean, Freddy vs. Jason banked money. And and this is 2002. Like, I mean, we're talking about I was a freshman. So I understand what, like, my era of people wanted to see. Hell yeah, we thought Buster Rhymes fighting Michael Myers with Kung Fu was fucking hilarious. We're talking about the kids that spent every single day on Newgrounds.com who watched Homestar Runner. Like, these are the kids that what we weren't, like, super funny, intelligent kids. We thought stupid shit was funny. Michael Myers fighting Busta Rhymes using Kung Fu, that shit mm-hmm. was funny. So, like, I think if he had fully embraced that the whole movie, movie through, not, again, not saying it would be a good movie at all, but saying that it probably would have been a lot more fun. We could have mm-hmm. taken it a little less seriously. And I think it would have made a lot of money because we see what happens a year later when they decide to make a movie like Freddy versus Jason that just completely embraces camp and goes, you know what? We're just kind of, yes, we're, we are playing with these characters who have existed for a long time. We're going to touch on that, but we're kind of just going like balls to the wall, do whatever the fuck we want. Mm -hmm. And like, let's see what happens. And I think there are traces of that again in this movie that if they had fully embraced if they had gone, and I feel like if it was just Rosenthal with Hood, 
it would have been that movie, but that that script um, by Brandt in there really throws things off. But just looking at the era uh, by Brandt, I mean, um, but but just looking at the era, like I think it was either full tilt serious or full tilt camp. There was nothing in the middle, and so I and again, just looking at the talent involved, where they were with the franchise, I don't think they had what they needed to make a serious movie. If they had gone fully the other direction, I, I really think it would have been something different. Mm-hmm. And it also probably wouldn't have gotten to the series where it, it went with Resurrection. After Resurrection, I mean, they essentially came to the plateau where they had to decide, okay, do we keep dragging this out for another movie, even though we're so far gone that we're losing a lot of our core audience, or do we completely start from scratch and let someone else reinvent it? And I feel like a big reason that they got that reinvention that a lot of fans didn't like, the Rob Zombie movies, I mean, it definitely does have its fans. And I'm so excited to talk about both of those movies, because even though I'm not the biggest fan, I do have a lot to say in a positive uh, light about both of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think that we wouldn't have gotten that reinvention had Resurrection known what it would have, what it wanted to be. I think it was so just fractured as a film uh, you know, not being able to, again, commit to a, a singular vision, uh, letting a whole committee decide what movie they were making, letting a rapper obsessed with kung fu decide that his character knows kung fu, having Tyra Banks dance while making a cappuccino in right. a fucking Halloween movie, you know, having right. two characters go to a, a party dressed like characters from Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. that Miramax owned. Like, I feel like there's so there was so much working against the film that it, it, I think almost it was kind of impossible for it to be a big success. Right. Yeah. And to your point, you meant, we've mentioned Rick Rosenthal a few times and although he didn't make a lot of theatrical films in the, you know, in the nineties, you know, he has had a very prolific career in television. Um, you know, post Halloween resurrection, he did a lot on the work Smallville. He's worked on shows like Providence. He's done a lot of TV movies and, you know, part of, being able to shoot television is being able to like come in on time, work really fast, work with an ensemble and, you know, and work within like limited budgets and limited sets. And this movie feels like the smallest of any of the Halloween movies. Once you get past the, it's essentially, it's two set pieces. It's the set piece of the asylum. And then it's the set piece of the house overall. And it feels in a lot of ways, like this feels like a movie that was made for television or had television, you know, in mind and maybe home video and DVD sales more in mind than it did actual like theatrical screenings. It just feels like a much smaller movie overall. That, that, and I think Rosenthal succeeds as a television director and television up until recently hasn't been a medium where it's more auteur driven. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like Rosenthal is a good uh, journeyman, yeah. you know? He he gets the stuff done, mm-hmm. and I think that that lack of an auteur vision or a lack of a you know what I mean I think the television career kind of plays a part in what kind of work we see in Resurrection. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he didn't put his foot down and not no. demand but push his opinion on what he wanted to do as an artist. No. And I feel like maybe he's successful at you know like I said being a journeyman when it comes to television. This is going to be a weird aside, but Stone Cold Steve Austin, my all-time 
favorite pro wrestler, says before he came up with the Stone Cold character, he would have been seen by Vince McMahon as someone that's a really good carpenter. And that carpenter is someone that knows how to lay out a match, knows how to get through all the paces, can make his you know partner look very good and go out it and be entertaining, but is never going to be that marquee star that bring, which is ironic because he went on to be the biggest star of all time in pro wrestling, give or take maybe one or two people. Um, but a carpenter is someone that like is never going to get in the way of anything is going to get you from point A to point B to point C. And I think that's what Rose and there's a real talent in that. Like that's not a small skill. And I think that's what Rick Rosenthal is. He's someone that can make a competent production, get it done um, and get it. So it looks good without necessarily maybe having like the biggest vision to it overall. He's not what I would call an auteur. I agree. So what else do we have about Halloween Resurrection at this point? Like, what am I missing here? I feel like there's something I'm missing, but I just don't know how much there is to really talk about with this movie. I I feel like the only thing we're missing is uh, wrapping it up. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, I think think it's a... So overall, I think it's a fun movie if you Mm -hmm. can, again, don't watch the Laurie stuff. Just go in without that, and I think that if you just – it almost feels, like, disconnected, but you just take it as, like, this is a slasher movie. Like, you know, like, this is a slasher movie, and it's of the era, and I think you can have some fun with it. And I think if you just lean harder into the camp stuff over the serious, like, the Mm -hmm. attempts at serious stuff, it it, it does have some fun, like, goofy stuff in it. I think it's one of those, like, it is going to become – one of those so bad it's good movies and like i don't i don't love that phrase like oh so bad it's good because like i don't think that really exists but it's going to be one of those like i i don't think it will get to the point where people are hate watching it anymore and i do think there will come a time where people are like you know no one's ever going to come out with something super intrinsic about this movie we're never going to see an article that's like how halloween resurrection was really about you know like the internet age and blah 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 mm-hmm. but i do think we will get to that point where someone comes out and they're like hey you know what like halloween resurrection isn't that bad it's and i think fun. you yeah and you start that journey by cutting out the Laurie Strode stuff like if you legit cut that out i think this movie works so much more like well again really if you if if President Lincoln didn't get shot in the back of the head by John Wilkes Booth, Mary Todd has a really fun night out at the theater. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I, I, feel, like, I feel like this is going to be a recurring thing with this podcast. The difference is we can skip that scene, you know? Like, it's, yes. it's, it's one click on a controller, it's a 10-minute mm-hmm. scene, you're done, and you move past it. And I just... There, I don't know, like watching it's one of those things. Like, sometimes I watch it, and I do think the further removed you get from it, it's one of those things when I it's like if if I were my age, you know, like it's like how I'm my age right now, and I'm so I'm 31. I watched Demon Wind for the first time this year, and going back and watching Demon Wind, I'm just like, what in the actual fuck is happening in this movie? Oh my mm-hmm. god, it's fantastic! I think someone, you know, 30 years removed from this movie is going to go back and watch it and be like, what in the actual fuck is going on in this movie? It is so ridiculous that Mm -hmm. I can't help but enjoy it. Um, Because I think where, especially because I have perspectives from 
from your guys' side a little too, being the horror fan that I am now and passionate about the genre and slashers being my favorite. But I also have that kid in 2002 that watched this as one of my first Halloween franchises, Mm -hmm. not knowing the history of Halloween, not having all of that um, buy-in with Laurie and with Busta Rhymes. You know, like at that point, I had seen two movies, or I had seen one two well two movies with laurie strode sure i'd seen halloween and then i saw h2o but it wasn't i didn't spent years re-watching yeah. this product and falling in love with yeah. her character so what even even in 2002 when she dies i didn't feel what jerry did it was like oh she's dead now and now we have these guys and mm-hmm. uh, going back and watching now obviously i go this is an issue but but i do think there are things that that intrinsically as horror fans we hate about this movie and i do think there are things that as film watching people you watch and there's you still go like well that was a bad choice to make but i think being part of the horror community like now that even just talking about it i really would like to experiment with this movie and watch it with a group of people who do not watch horror movies Mm -hmm. and just see what they think about it because i do i do think i've done that a couple times with I've done that a couple of times with Keep Screaming. I sit down with my friends who just kind of casually watch movies, and we end up having such a good time watching movies like Home Sweet Home and Blood Rage mm-hmm. because they're so baffled by what's going on that it allows me to jump out of the of the seat of going, well, this is just bad, and this is disrespecting mm-hmm. the franchise, and this is – and going, well, this is fucking wacky and yeah. ridiculous. And so, I, I again – Never, no part of me will ever say mm-hmm. this is a good movie. Yeah, I will probably yeah. say this is. You can have fun with it, and there is yeah. fun to be had with this movie. There is mm-hmm. the element of like if you put this on during a Halloween party and leave it in the background, that there's just some weird, silly shit going on that you can kind of like tune in and tune out of it and feel like you're getting your money's worth. Where a movie like Halloween, even Halloween two or 2018's Halloween, I want to sit down and I want to watch it. And I don't want people talking over it. The whole movie. Yeah. I think this Halloween five, um, Halloween four, to an extent, there are movies you can just kind of put on in the background and enjoy them for what they are. Mm-hmm. See, I, I think. think... Oh, no, good. I was just going to touch on how at the beginning, Mike, you said like it's hard with Halloween because it starts off so with such a monumental movie. Mm-hmm. And I think Halloween is actually one of the franchises where I look at it and like I and I can look at it and go. Most of these movies are good. And I it's yes. not in the sense of like where I look at Friday and I go, oh, most of these movies are fun or nightmare yep. where I go. Most of these movies are fun because I even think Freddy's Dead is a ton of fun. Like, I love I think that movie. movie. Yeah. But like when I look at Nightmare. I realistically go, three of these movies are really good. Like, three mm-hmm. of them are, like, really well-made, good movies. Mm-hmm. And I look at Friday, and I go, like, it's probably the same. Three or four of these are good movies. But I look at Halloween, and I legit think, you know, Halloween 1 and 2 are both good. I think 3 is good. I actually think 4 is – I love 4. I think it's mm-hmm. fantastic. A lot of um, people, 4 is not necessarily their favorite, but it's their favorite one to watch. Yeah, but I think 4 is four great. 4 is my third favorite movie of all time, actually. I Jeez. think it's great. I think it's a really good movie. I think H2O is really good. I think 2018 is fantastic. I actually think Halloween 2 is pretty good. I used to like uh, like the Rob Zombie one. I used mm-hmm. to like – I even used to like his original until I rewatched it and just think there's like gratuitous amount of like abusive sex in it, which really mm-hmm. bumps me out. But like I think you look at Halloween and it's one of the few franchises that you look at and you go, these are all competently made good movies. Mm-hmm. 
this so this one seems like even more offensive and more of an outlier because you're like what is happening here right well that and what i what i've always said about a lot of the halloween films that i don't care about and uh, i hope it doesn't become my my the next friday 13th if you take jason out of statement for me finish halloween, it halloween finish is one of well, it's if you take Jason out of the final chapter, you still have a great coming-of-age film. Yes. But when it comes when it comes to the Halloween series, I have a very specific opinion on even the ones I don't like. Mm-hmm. They might not be for me, but I am happy as hell that every Halloween film exists. Mm-hmm. And I think that that goes with Resurrection, too. Resurrection is at the absolute bottom for me as far as the Halloween films. It's a movie that I have only been able to sit through two times in my life. I didn't. I tried to rewatch it three times for this episode, and I couldn't make it through it. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, I'm happy as hell it exists because, you know what I mean. Like Halloween, every film pushes the series forward to another step. Yes, you know. And there's so many other franchises that I wish certain sequels didn't exist. I'm happy Resurrection exists because you know what? Like a couple weeks ago, I thought the guy was joking at first, but I had someone comment on Twitter that this is their favorite Halloween movie. You know, and like that's alien to me, but fuck, like thinking oh, about that, him. thinking about that later at night, I was thinking like, wow, that is so cool. You know, I'm happy Resurrection exists. I'm happy it's such a fractured piece of shit in my mind. But there are people like that guy. There are people like Ryan that find this kind of kooky uh, charm about them at times, mm-hmm. and I think that the it's important as horror fans, and especially on horror Twitter, to take something that maybe you don't appreciate or like and maybe see a silver lining in that. You know what I mean? Like, I I think so many times people on Twitter or Facebook, it's like, oh, you like this? You're fucking wrong. Oh, you like this? You're fucking wrong. One of the things I I try to never do, one of the things I try to never do on on Twitter is if someone mentions a movie they love it and I hate the movie is to go out of my way and say like, well, why do you like that movie? It's dumb. I might say that movie on my own. Let's say I don't like something on my own on my own little thread, but I think I kind of learned a long time ago, like, you know, it's cliche to say it, but let people enjoy things like definitely, you know, let people enjoy what they like as long as it's not, you know, going, going out of its way to like hurt someone or punch right. down at somebody, you know, Jerry, you're fond of saying like everybody's, every movie is somebody's favorite movie, yeah, even if it's not ours. Art is subjective. And that is a, it's not just a cliche trope, throwaway line for me. Mm-hmm. I, I am such a firm believer in that. I will never tell someone that they're wrong for liking a movie. I will tell someone that they're wrong for like you like you said, punching down at people. With that being said, everyone has a reason to like various things, and I mm-hmm. respect that. And I even respect Halloween Resurrection. I'm happy it exists. Yeah, and I like. I mean, I'm so on board with that because just like Jerry, like so. My dad, when I was like 12 years old, my dad said something to me that always stuck, and it was. It was about music, but he said every band is someone's favorite band, and I apply that to – so I've always said that too, Jerry. I've always said every movie is someone's favorite movie. So to go out of your way to put something down that people put work into is so just – just why? why? And like 
I think the more important thing is podcasts like this that bring people like me or Heather Buckley or Anya Stanley on to discuss something that people have like that don't understand why people like it. I think it's way more interesting, like you said, Mike, when someone's like, this is my favorite movie, instead of going like, that's mm-hmm. dumb, why? Going, wow, okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't see that take a lot. What do you like about it? Like from a, pl- from a point of genuine curiosity, being open-minded about things, because there are definitely times like – and, you know, a lot of like to the horror journalists in the world um, and Jerry and actually our friend Nat Bremer, who has been on the show before. Mm-hmm. These two guys are two of the guys that have opened my mind up the most about things because some of the takes they provide. They're like, this movie's great. And I'm like, bullshit. And then I read the mm-hmm. article and I'm like, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I-, I think Anya Stanley does a great job of that, too. Like just all these journalists that put their effort and time um uh, Matt Donato is another one. Like, I, I just keep thinking of people. I love this community because so many people go, this is what I like about this movie. And then when I read the article, so, not always, like actually probably 90% of the time I still go, I don't like this movie, but the mm-hmm. points you make are valid. And now I see the merit in this movie and it makes me enjoy it more. Well, that's how it was with Scream. I mean, right from the gate, our first series for this podcast was a Scream series, and that's probably one of my least favorite series in the world. But hearing yourself, Brian, or hearing uh, Heather Wixon, or hearing uh, Becky, Becky Sayers, like, I had so much fucking fun talking about yeah. those movies to where, like, I have a newfound appreciation for them. They, they're not my favorite movies still. But I respect the hell out of them and what they do for not mm. only people that love them, but it kind of goes – I told Mike this before we started recording. I went to the theater yesterday because someone gifted my wife and I Regal Unlimited Passes so we could see as many movies in the theater as possible. It is amazing. So we went to the theater three times yesterday. Uh, we saw Queen and Slim, which I definitely recommend. Uh, we saw Joker, which I have some interesting thoughts on that. Uh, and we took my stepdaughter, Harlow. She had never been to the theater ever. And I, that was news to me. I was like, what? You've never been there? You're seven years old? No, I haven't. Okay, let's go. Took her to see Frozen 2, another great movie. We got out, and my wife was using the restroom, and I was talking to my stepdaughter, and she goes, Batman, because she always calls me Batman. She's never called me by my name. Batman, what is that movie? I'm like, well, what are you talking about? She ran up to a poster, pointed at it, and she said, I like what's on this poster. I want to see that movie. It is fucking Black Christmas. Yeah. A movie with three or four women on the cover holding weapons saying slay girls. My stepdaughter found herself in that poster. And you know what? Fuck yeah. Like, I, I, we live in this time where people try to pick apart movies for, okay, you know. And here's the thing about that, and I'm not going to go too deep into this. I have my Black Christmas. I grew up with my Black Christmas. It will always be my Black Christmas. Some people, four or five of them, have their Black Xmas. That's cool. My stepdaughter and everyone else is going to get into horror because of the new Black mm-hmm. Christmas, just like so many people got into horror because of Scream. I have nothing but respect for that. I think that's a good segue to what we kind of wanted to touch on a little bit here because – uh, I usually don't get very riled up about things, but when I do get riled up, it gets a little bit ugly, and I tend to draw people into my wake at that point. And uh, there was an article on Dread Central um, with the director of the new Black Christmas, Sophia 
to call talking about her perspective or, or what her reasons were for making this movie overall and her perspective on it. Uh, April Wolf, the writer, has been very open about saying that she wanted to create a movie that young girls could go see and get them into horror, maybe be, you know, kind of that movie that introduces them to this world and have them get excited for it overall. Um, you know, and a very prominent figure in the horror community, uh, Joe Bob Briggs had tweeted, uh, retweeted that article um, with his own tweet, basically at saying, I really enjoyed in the 1970s and 80s when there was no real politics in commentary in horror movies. It was really, let's tell the best story that we possibly can. And it got me really angry. I got a personal in my tweets, which I shouldn't have done, but I stand behind the sentiment behind them, which is basically that it's really awful when someone has a, a platform that can reach tens of thousands of people and saying, like, why do we need this perspective out there? Number one, it runs counter to his very intelligent takes on films from that era where he can dive deep exactly into the socio-political commentary and what it was. So we know that that initial tweet's not true. But also, like, it's always films from women, from people of color, from queer persons, that whenever the horror is too political or art is too political these are the films that get singled out for it and it's others have said it much more eloquently than i have um because there are people that are just more intelligent than i am but i just feel it in my bones that horror and art in general is better storytelling is better when we get these movies from different perspectives and even if the subtext is the text and it's right out in the front, I still, and you as an audience member still, have the ability to interpret that movie however you want to. No one is telling you how to watch a movie. They're telling you, this is my reason for creating this piece of art. This is my intent behind it. Whether you as an audience member agree or disagree with it or feel I was successful in it, that eventually is going to be up to you. And I just feel it becomes a very hurtful and dangerous thing when other perspectives are pushed down. One of the messages I got from a friend when we were discussing it, a filmmaker who's a dear friend of mine who's been trying to get her features made for years and it's been made short after short after short movie was just like, I'm so tired of all this. It's just so tiring to have to defend yourself all the time for this. So I got in very personal and I would say we got a lot of new followers from it, which is great. And a lot of people that agreed with our perspective. And then we had it go the other way. Uh, Joe Bob, uh, Mr. John Bloom actually reached out over Twitter and said, you know, when you talk about this, I want to be on your show. I think it warrants a larger discussion. We've offered him to come on. We'll try to set something up. Um, the biggest mistake I made was I made some personal, really hurtful comments. And as someone that doesn't says, please don't punch down at people, they were pretty insulting. And that's where I was wrong. But the sentiment behind it overall, I really do stand behind. Um, if, if he wants to be on the show, I would love to discuss mm -hmm. uh, everything with him. I would mm -hmm. love to discuss it in a polite 
aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I will be able to because, uh, you know, I might be dead because I've had 14 messages telling me to kill myself right. uh, because of the whole thing. But if I'm still around, guys, I would love and, to talk about and it. That's really scary because, you know, Jerry, you're someone that is super open online about discussing your mental health struggles. Right. I discuss my career working with individuals and mental health, but you're someone that has been like really brave and open about discussing. Well, I mean, to be honest, like I, I, I really, I mean, we don't have to go into detail about this mm-hmm. nonstop because I mean, I, I'm sure all of us are kind of tired mm-hmm. of dealing with it over the last oh, couple God, of days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, I, I've tried tried my absolute hardest to be as transparent online as i am in Mm -hmm. person see my voice my voice is getting shaky talking about it because it is it is hard for me to talk about i've dealt with mental illness my entire life stemming from some pretty bad abuse i had uh you know i was a drug addict for many years because of that you know Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm clean and sober now uh but i try to have a good dialogue about mental health depression suicidal ideation all these things so when somebody's response to this whole thing is telling me to kill myself and calling me a professional victim it stings but with that being said i would like to also think that at 38 years old i am i have thick enough skin to say you know what i don't have to engage Mm -hmm. with this person so with that being said thank you guys for taking the time to engage with me you know it might not it might not be uh something i want to read you know i don't Mm -hmm. i don't want to hear about being a professional victim because being molested mm-hmm. as a kid made me advocate mental health. Mm-hmm. Openly. You know, with that being said, you know what? Like it got out of hand. I'm sorry that some of our listeners were brought into it. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that stings. But with that being said, I am all for a healthy conversation, which is why my follow up to, to Briggs's tweet was politely to say, bring it on. Sure. would we would love to talk to you. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, if you want to come on, do it. You know, I would love to have a healthy conversation. Uh, with that being said, you know, do we haven't best. heard back. So both of us right away within like, I think two minutes of seeing that we're like, sure, you know, let us know your schedule. Um, and we're small potatoes compared to what he deals with. So it'd be interesting to see if he'll, He'll come Are on. Are we going to be able to do the show though when we're too busy doing a deep dive into into each other's asses? <laughs> you remember remember that reply? That was I, fun. I have been accused of having my head up my ass many times. So to be fair, and to be fair, like it was a very small percentage of his oh, yeah. followers, yeah. and there were some very good um, discussions as well. Um, and it was a very small group of people that you know were yeah, as in anything. I think. Um, the the minority is always the loudest, yeah. you know, like I, you know, I, I'm just going to jump in real quick. Cause I was, I was along with you guys for a lot of that ride. I was definitely one of the people who came out and spoke out against it. And I, the here's the crazy part. I never once spoke out personally against Joe Bob. All I said was, this is a bad take. That one thing he said is a bad take. And I did say, this is dangerous precedent because when you have as many followers as you do, people won't do due diligence and research and will take this at face value, which was proven over and over again. And I thought it was interesting that all these people were coming out and telling us how one telling all three of us that our opinion, like we should shut up because like he has, he's allowed to have his opinion. So they're literally telling us shut up. He has his opinion about our own opinions, Mm -hmm. which I thought was just very ironic. And then two, 
it was very interesting to see how many people came out and they're like, Joe Bob has done so much for the genre. And he has. He's done a, he's done great things for film. He's done great things for the genre. I feel like he has a lot of things that I agree with um, as far as just like social progressivism. But also, I just thought it was very interesting that he came out. And I was like, how much research did you do on me? Did you go mm -hmm. on my Twitter and see that all I do all goddamn day is advocate for mental health mm -hmm. and advocate for safe places for LBGTK? lbgtqia like mm -hmm. did you see that i come out i have like a charity for mental health that all i right. champion happiness in the genre no you just saw that i said one thing joe bob said was dangerous mm -hmm. and you attacked me and that is a hundred percent a prime example of why joe bob needs to be careful of what he says because he that has is. that platform and that you know that's just my personal feelings i have no ill will towards joe bob i i even i even messaged him I privately messaged him and Darcy both and said, just so you guys know, this was not an attack on you. I don't have any problem with you. I watch your show. I've seen Joe Bob live twice, both times. I walked away respecting the man more. I think he's done a lot for the genre. But I do think this was a bad take. And that's all I was saying was this is a bad take. And we have to be careful of what we say when you have that kind of platform. Exactly. And I think that maybe what you said, that kind of lack of research on us. You know, uh, we were accused of using the LGBTQ community to get more listeners on our podcast because of this whole Joe Bob thing. I've, okay, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to go for it. I haven't even said this out loud online. I have a trans fucking kid. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never even talked about it out of privacy for my, my, my kid. One of my kids is trans. So all I ask is this. If you're going to defend somebody, defend them. That is beautiful. Do it. Yep. But don't defend someone by trying to make someone else look stupid. Don't tell me I'm not an ally to the community when one of my kids is fucking right. trans. Do you know what I mean? My best friend died a year ago, two days ago. Worst day of my life, almost. He was gay. The LGBT community, community means the world to me. So all I ask is instead of this knee-jerk insults being thrown, just try to have a good dialogue. That is 100% all that yeah. I ask. Yeah, yeah. And, I'll, and I'll throw in there, too, just, like, again, reiterating that, like, none of that. Joe Bob obviously never oh, accused any of him. us of that. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was the it. Was, but again, like that's all we were asking is like when you have that platform, you just need to be careful. And mm -hmm. it's and you know like I really don't even think Joe Bob meant to say this is a female director, so this is the reason why. But it just it's a bad look when like guess what, Aronofsky made the most ham fisted thing I've ever seen in my life with Mother. You know, like like if you want to talk about text versus subtext, like that shit has no no like there's no I like. It's not hiding behind anything. It's like he's being oh, hits in the face. Yeah, but I didn't see half as much vitriol uh -huh. about Mother that I have about Black Christmas just right. because a female is coming forward saying this is about rape yes. culture and this is about like this and it's because it's a female. And so it's like there's obviously an issue. You need to be aware of the things that you're picking and choosing to speak about because sometimes – and it's – you know, it's, it's a bummer that that's a society we live in, but it is. And that's the simple fact of the matter is when you take when you decide you're going to speak up about 
social and political commentary behind a movie and you decide to pick the movie that is a female fronted female written female directed about rape culture movie that's a dangerous thing to do when there's other movies that have come out in the last two years from bigger directors that you decided not to have that opinion right and i think you could have made the same point without tagging the movie and that's my biggest especially because it's the first wide release from blumhouse directed by a female uh, a year ago, you know, there was a lot of controversy when Jason Blum, who said, you know, I'm having trouble finding female directors that really want to work with us overall. Um, and that I think it was again, I don't think there was any ill intent behind what he said. It was just a bad choice of words. But, you know, Jason Blum is someone who has been very successful. And I think he wants all of his projects to be successful. Um, I want to see this movie do really, really well, even if it's quote unquote, not for me. Um, I kind of want to buy my daughter's girl scout troop tickets to this movie, but then I was reminded they're all nine years old and (laughs) not everyone is as permissive as I am in terms of what I let my daughter watch. So I want to put a pin in that for now. And here's what we know we have coming up. Um, the next two movies we have, coming up are going to be Rob Zombie's take on Halloween, uh, Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween, and then his follow-up H2. And I think they're going to be real controversial. Um, I think that even if you don't love these movies, there's so much to dive into that I need a little bit more time to kind of go back and rewatch and do my notes and really give them like the proper a proper dissection and that I can do. So we next week will have a show. Uh, we should be uh, having our retrospective on Deborah Hill with producer um, Heather Buckley on with us. We're going to try to get that scheduled for this week. And we're also hoping to do another uh, mini episode as well on the influence of music in Halloween. And I think we have a couple very good guests lined up for that. Um, I just want to, confirm them before we say here's who's being yeah, on exactly so ryan tell everyone a little bit about the mental health charity that you've set up and how people can help out with that yeah so it's it's really awesome uh, i know last time i was on like i talked about we were in the works and i finally got everything like lined up we don't have an official date yet um but i am working alongside stop the stigma which is an organization based out in texas and what they do is um it's a nonprofit, and they use all of their funds to help people find help people without means find ways to get into therapy or to seek out mental health and it's not just about that it's also about normalizing the discussion of mental health it's about trying to destigmatize um, mental health and make it just part of an everyday conversation. Um, it's about helping families come to terms with things, realizing that it's not a negative thing, that it's just something we deal with as part of life. Um, and so I just, you know, it's something that really means a lot to me. Uh, I've come to terms with a lot of like mental health, um, things that I've dealt with in the last couple of years and continue to deal with, you know, this isn't something you put a bandaid on. Uh, this is something you work on for your entire life probably. Um, and that's okay. And, um, so it's going to be called, it's, it's called horror heels. You know, it's ghastly grinning teaming up with stop the stigma. Um, it's called horror heels because it's about this community that has literally pulled me out of the dregs twice in my life where I was, you know, near suicidal and two times in my life, this community has saved my life. And I decided I wanted to give back to that community. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to bring about the message of, we need to destigmatize mental health and we need to destigmatize horror. Uh, so doing that hand in hand is going to be really important and cool 
cool. Um, we're going to have the official website's going to go up probably right at the new year. And then we're going to come up with a day. We kind of want to make it horror themed. So we're looking at like different Friday the 13th or maybe possibly Halloween just to give us time. But what we're going to do is we'll have a website set up and the week that it launches or the week that the charity launches, we are collecting um, collectibles, uh, memorabilia, autographs, just whatever we can from people in the genre. And they are donating this stuff, um, you know, no no money attached to anything. They're just donating out of the goodness of their heart. And we're going to put all of it up and we're going to sell it. And all of the proceeds are going to go to Stop the Stigma. Um, and we've, yeah. And we've got some really cool people. Um, it's, it's a grassroots movement, you know, so I'm working on getting like as many people as I can, but we have, you know, anyone from Graham script, Graham Skipper, Rebecca McKendry, um, you know, Luke Petrowski from super dark times, Lauren, Ashley Carter have all agreed to donate. Um, Owen Egerton wants, wants to help out from, you know, mm -hmm. um, blood fest. Um, also Mallory O'Meara is going to uh, donate something. Grady Hendricks is going to donate something. Um, so I've just, it's literally so far just been like me and Jerry has helped out too. Um, a couple of my other writers were literally just kind of sending inundating DMS and uh, Facebook messages, hitting people up asking like, Hey, do you want to donate and be a part of this cause? Cause it's going to be for, like really special. Um, you know, I'm talking, I, I'm talking to John over at uh, bloody disgusting about hopefully maybe being able to get something going over there. Like maybe just mm -hmm. an article to get awareness out. Uh, but horrorheels.com uh, will be up probably by the new year. Um, and then we'll just, you'll see us um, again. I have a huge contingent of like journalists and people who are just going to be signal boosting the hell out of it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yep. But yeah, it's going to be really awesome, really cool, um, and I'm excited to be like a, a part of something that's just going to help out so many different people in so many different ways. Excellent, excellent. That's such a cool cause, and we definitely want to help single boost that when it comes out. So, to our listeners, thank you so much. We really appreciate the journey that we've been on. To our new, if we have any new listeners, which I think we should after the past week you know we hope you've enjoyed this sorry we didn't pick the best movie to start you with but we got a lot in the tank right now and we got a lot of really cool things lined up definitely not hatchet next but um we will do that very very <laughs> soon um so until next week everyone have a great one we hope everyone had a great thanksgiving and we'll see you guys soon all right